Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. You are now listening to season seven of the show. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Lubna Shuja. Lubna is the first Asian and first Muslim president of the Law Society of England and Wales. She is also the 178th person and seventh female serving as president. Lubna graduated from the University of Westminster with a Bachelor's of Law and completed her Law Society final exam at College of Law. She trained at Flaggate Fielder Solicitors before becoming a partner at Samson Horner Solicitors. Lubna specializes in professional discipline and regulation. She is dual qualified civil and family mediator with experience in contested probates, contractual disputes, property issues, employment, divorce, and child access. Lubna also sits as chair for several regulators, including disciplinary, regulatory, professional conduct, fitness to practice, investigatory, and appeal committees. She was previously a deputy clerk at Solicitor's Disciplinary Tribunal, advising on law and procedure. So a very, very warm welcome, Lubna. Hello, Rob, and thank you so much for inviting me to uh, take part in your podcast. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive in with all your amazing projects, experiences, and indeed mission for the Law Society, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality if you've seen it? Oh, now I have a confession to make, I'm afraid, Rob. Go on. Suits is on my to-do, to-watch list. I haven't seen it, I'm afraid. I've heard so many good things about it, really looking forward to watching it. And I think that's something I'm saving for when I finish my presidential year. I might just sit down and have a good old binge watch and relax while I'm watching. <laughs> we'll have to then invite you with that. We'll give it a zero and then we'll invite you back when you have seen it. And you can give us your rating there. But today is all about you. Um, so would you mind starting off telling our listeners a bit about your background and journey? Sure. Um, so I'm uh, from Bradford originally. I don't know if you can still hear that in my accent, but I'm originally from Bradford, went to a state comprehensive school there uh, from a working class background. Didn't really think about doing law, wasn't, wasn't something that was on my agenda at the time. I didn't have any legal role models, um, didn't really know any lawyers, didn't even watch legal dramas. I mean, despite the fact that I haven't seen Suits, I have subsequently watched other legal dramas. Um, I was a big fan of uh, LA Law, which those of your listeners who are of a certain age might remember LA Law. Um, I used to love watching that. That was when I was at university. That was that was the big thing that you used to watch at uni. But yeah, so that's my background, working class background. Um, I, originally, I was actually going to go and do uh, an English degree. And the reason why why was because, uh, and this is going back to the role models question that we talk about quite often and how important role models are. When I was a lot younger, I had a couple of cousins who uh, were journalists. They used to work at the BBC as journalists and they used to tell me about their jobs, about the documentaries that they made and the kind of work that they got involved to, in. And I thought it sounded really exciting. I thought, gosh, I, I could do that. I could be a journalist. Um, so to be a journalist, you had to do an English degree. So I got myself a place at university doing English, um, but I never actually did English because when I got my A-level grades, I did a lot better in my A-levels than my teachers had predicted. And it was at that stage 
that a really good friend said to me, you could get onto a law degree with those, with those A-levels. You should get yourself onto a law degree. You could still be a journalist if you wanted to, but, you know, it will open up a few more options to you. And I actually got onto a law degree through clearing. That's how I ended up doing law. Um, so a bit of a convoluted journey to get there. Not really something that I ever really, really planned to do. But uh, as soon as I started studying law, absolutely loved it. Really enjoyed learning about cases, enjoyed learning about re- legislation, how it applies to everyday life, you know, uh, how problems are dealt with. I mean, I was just, I was hooked. It was, yep, that's what I want to do. I'm going to be a lawyer. What a story, you know, coming from, you know, your background to then sort of, you know, like you rightly say, very openly going through clearing to where you are today as the president of the Law Society. So there's a lot we need to, to get through with that, because I believe in 2007, you set up your own sort of legal practice. Would you mind telling us a bit more about, I believe it was at Legal Swan Solicitors? Yeah, that was when I, I moved. Legal Swan Solicitors is based in Birmingham um, and I moved to Birmingham and it just seemed the right time. Uh, to set up on my own. Uh, and that's what I did. It was a bit bit scary because, you know, I'd always been in a practice with with other partners before then, but I thought, no, it's now's the time to do it. And um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I um, did a lot of court work, litigation. That's my background and litigation. I've done family cases. Uh, I've done some wills, probate type cases. And, you know, I really enjoy that client interaction. That's That's the bit that I really enjoy. I like I like learning about, um, you know, how people have got themselves into the situation that they're in. And there's always a backstory. Uh, and often you find yourself as a solicitor, you're sometimes a bit of a counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're coming into you with one legal problem, but they'll end up telling you all sorts of things about their life story, about their family, about their uh, business. You, know, just, you just kind of find out more about people. And I'm very much interested in people, in their journeys. Um, so I, I, it's a great job. It's, it, I really enjoy it. Very, very much enjoyed it. Now I do a lot of mediation. So a lot of, uh, and again, this is great because mediation is a, is a way of resolving court disputes or, or any disputes really without having to actually go to court. And part of the mediation process is sitting down and talking to people about, you know, how have you ended up where you are? What do you want to get out of this? And again, it's all about learning their story, learning their journey. And I mean, I love it. Really, really enjoy it. Yeah. And I guess you have to be super curious, open-minded. And like you say, you listen to all these amazing stories and insights that you never dreamt that they'll tell you as the solicitor. So you have to wear quite a few hats, I guess, from a sort of an empathy perspective, from a practical perspective, from a sort of legal perspective as, as well. So you're also, I understand, a sole practitioner, so specializing in sort of professional discipline and regulation. Can you explain to our listeners who may be less familiar what a sole practitioner is? Sure. Yeah. So a sole practitioner, solicitor sole practitioner basically means um, a solicitor who has set up their own practice and they work on their own. So they don't have other partners. They might have some staff, but they just don't have other partners. So it basically means I'm in charge. (laughs) It means that I don't need to talk to anybody else when I want to make a decision. It means I don't have to go to partner meetings or, you know, it just means I get to make the decision that I want to make. But it also means I also take all the responsibility for any decisions that I make. So it's actually quite a big, it's a big responsibility. Whatever you do, you, at the end of the day, the book stops with you and there's nobody else that you can turn to. But it also means that, you know, I can work in the way that I want to work. I can take on the cases that I want to take on. I can work the hours that I want to work, which ironically, when you have your own practice, you work far more than you ever do when you work for somebody else. <laughs> That's the irony of the situation. But it does mean that, you know, sometimes when things come up, 
You might need to take time out for, um, I don't know, some family, uh, you know, if you've got family responsibilities or caring responsibilities, you can work around that and you don't have to go and get permission from somebody to be able to do that. You can make up the time in the evening, at the weekend or whenever it suits you. I think the hardest part about it actually is getting a work-life balance because as I say, when it's your own practice, when it's your own business, you work so much harder because you really, really want to make it a success and you've got nobody else to rely on. You know, you're the one that has to, that has to make it work, that has to bring in the income. Um, so you actually work a lot, lot harder than you realize and, and work-life balance is more difficult because you're trying to keep on top of everything. I can relate as, as a business owner my, myself. And even, even today, the recording, you know, my, my nursery rings up hand, foot and mouth, you know, got to take baby home. So you're juggling and luckily I can go and do that. I don't need to report someone to get that sort of to make these things happen because life does this happen. But you're right. It's me, myself and I. Um, you take accountability. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Um, but, you know, the rewards are fantastic as well. And I think you give a really honest overview, you know, of what it might be like for people who might be thinking about sole practitioner route. So thank you for that. You touched on it before about me Mediation, because you have been an accredited mediator, I believe, since 2005. You're dual qualified civil and family uh, mediator. What types of cases have you handled? You touched on a bit. Can you give us a little bit more of a flavour? Yeah, I've done, I've done all sorts of cases. I mean, I get involved. Uh, I, I mediate any kind of dispute, really, whether it's uh, so civil means in the county court where you've got a dispute between two people. And I also deal with family cases which can involve children. Um, it can involve uh, finances and what's going to happen to the house and all that kind of thing. Um, I've done what I've done a lot of as well, which I uh, particularly found in, find interesting, is um, where where I mean this is a bit sad really, but I find it very interesting. If some, when somebody's passed away, and you suddenly find the relatives fighting over who's going to get what, I sad, very very sad. But it's a real window into into human behavior, actually, and the kind of issues that come up, kind of family disputes that you end up dealing with, family politics, um, you know, really, really interesting. So I've done quite, quite a lot of that. Sometimes there'll be a will, sometimes there won't be a will. And often it's around, you know, well, you know, this is what whoever's passed away, mum, dad, whoever it might be, this is what they wanted and I'm not getting what I... So it's just really, really interesting. But I also do a lot of... Um, I do family cases, so you know where there's family breakdown, helping the uh, the, the 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 couple that are um, that that are divorcing or separating decide about arrangements for the children, um, you know, deciding about what's going to happen to you know the finances basically. And sometimes there'll be businesses involved. Sometimes it'll be you know just a house or properties. Or so that's really interesting because again, it's all about learning people's stories, finding out about people's stories, and then just understanding, you know, how have they got to where they are and how do we get them to where they want to be? I, I love your approach to practicing the law because it's something that we're passionate and I'm personally passionate about trying to build this kind of more collaborative, thriving legal community. And it's, it's being human first. And I think you're really trying to meet that human connection of understanding their story to, to really kind of have you know one person talking to another no judgment let's just understand what what's happened here and then sort of provide the right sort of counsel moving forward and what a great way to to have you as such a role model um with that approach in terms of the way that you um you're practicing um you have so much experience you have a wealth of experience as a chair of several regulators i touched on in the introduction disciplinary regulatory professional conduct fitness to practice investitory the list goes on what has been your experience as chair of these committees and what 
why are they so important as part of our legal system? Well, it's really it's really important that we have them because you know professionals are often in a position of trust, and um, it's important that they act honestly and they act with integrity. They act within the standards and regulations that they're required to act within. Because often a member of the public won't really understand, um, you know, what how a professional is required to behave. Um, and, and, you know, we've got to have standards to make sure um, that we maintain those standards. So my role as, as chair of, of, of these committees is where we have cases, sometimes they're cases that relate to misconduct. Sometimes they might be just cases around competence and competence can be due to health issues. You know, it's life is such that sometimes people will have health issues and they will have circumstances in their personal lives that can impact on their profession. And our role as a committee is to um, is to deal with those cases, but predominantly to make sure that the public is being protected and what we call the public interest that's being protected. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting, really, really, really interesting work that I do there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it definitely, you know, fascinating. And, and how you fit it all in is um, impressive. Go, going back to your your journey there, because I again, I understand you joined the Law Society as a council member in 2013 before taking on your place as deputy vice president and then vice president. What responsibilities did you have during those few roles? So the way that it works is that um, the deputy vice president and the vice president are available to stand in for the president when the president is not available. And the president has an incredibly busy diary and can't obviously be everywhere at once. But um, we have all sorts of uh, responsibilities as deputy vice president and vice president. Um, We get involved in some of the internal work that goes on at the Law Society. So um, we sit on the board here and we sit on committees here. We make decisions around um, the, 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 the litigation that the Law Society might take on. So, for example, we have what we call a strategic litigation group, and that is where we look at cases that are in the best interests of um, the best interests of the members that we think we need to follow and take up. Because there's a you know there's a there's a really good reason for doing that. We also get involved in podcasts like this, talking to the media, um, writing articles for uh, various press. Um, I've done television interviews. I've done radio interviews. We regularly meet with members of parliament, ministers to uh, discuss issues that are of concern to our members or for the, for, for the wider public benefit. One of the things that we are really passionate about is upholding uh, and safeguarding what we call the rule of law. And the rule of law basically means that the law applies to everybody, no matter what your background, um, no matter what your means, it applies to everybody. So, you know, we... Part of our role is making sure that that happens and calling out when it doesn't happen. Uh, so we do it. We do a lot of that work. Obviously, one of the key things that we do and one of the key things that I really enjoy doing is going out and talking to our members, finding out from our solicitor members, what are their concerns? What are their issues? What can we do to help them? And we also go and talk to members of the public about raising the profile of the profession, you know, explaining what the why solicitors are valuable to the profession. And then another area of work that we do is international. So that's where we go. Um, we have trips abroad where we are promoting England and Wales as a, a global jurisdiction. 
a place where we want other countries to come and uh, use, you know, use our law and use our courts when they have disputes that they need to resolve. Um, and also for some of our members in England and Wales, they want to be able to practice in other countries. So it's about looking at marketing, uh, you know, new markets and new opportunities for our members to be able to practice in other countries. Yeah, it's, it's, it's varied, um, absolutely, in terms of what you do. And, you know, I've recently just returned from a, a trip to um, from Dubai. And obviously, you know, the English and Wales qualification does carry on out there. And, you know, they see a lot of people going out there and, and, and having, you know, um, interesting experiences. And yeah, again, it's just great to see the amount of work and, and giving people more access to what actually does, does go on. Again, going part of your journey as the chair of, I believe, the Law Society's Membership and Communications Committee at the time, what were your sort of initiatives you were leading there at the time? Yes, so the Membership and Communications Committee, the focus of that committee is very much about uh, how can we better support our members? How can we promote our members? How can we represent them better? So it's very much around looking at, you know, what support they need and what more can we be doing to help them? Um, um, So we looked at a lot of the communications that we're going out from the Law Society. What kind of things do our members want to hear about? What kind of things are helping them in their everyday businesses? Uh, What kind of support can we give them in their businesses? Um, Very, very, very varied, very varied agenda that we had when we were working on that. We were also looking at training, what kind of training we can provide for them? What kind of events can we put on that helps them uh, to uh, improve their practice? Uh, perhaps looking at marketing, looking at, you know, just updating them on areas of law that they might need updating on. We're also looking at, you know, what kind of offers can we make for specific sectors of the community? So, for example, now um, we have a very, very, very big group of junior solicitors, junior lawyers. So we're looking at what can we do for them? We have in-house solicitors. So they're solicitors that don't work in a legal practice, but they will work in a legal department within a business. And that's 25% of our profession work in, in in-house now. So it's looking at what support can we give them because each different sector has different needs. Our very, very large firms and our city firms, they have different requirements to those that in-house solicitors will have. So it's looking at all of the different sectors and trying to understand how we can best support them and promote them and uh, you know, represent what they need. I like that because it's not one size fits all, you know, you're understanding that there's, you know, there's different firms, there's different, you know, like say in-house and it's really trying to see, right, how can we best be of service to the whole profession rather than trying to say it's like this for this and it's this for this. So, um, yeah, it's a really sort of refreshing take on things. Um, so let's fast forward then to the 12th of October, 2022, uh, where you did become the first Asian and first Muslim president of the Law Society of England and World. How did you feel? I mean, I think it still hasn't sunk in, Rob. <laughs> I've been doing it for several months already. I still wake up and have to pinch myself and say, gosh, are you really, are you really? I mean, it is, it is such an honour. It is such a privilege. I cannot tell you. I mean, I never, never dreamt in a million years that I would ever be president of the Law Society of England and Wales, let alone the first Asian, the first Muslim. Um, and the seventh woman to get that role. It's really interesting because when I was studying, I did my law degree at um, Westminster University, as you mentioned earlier on. And then you have to do, we had to do another course after that to qualify as a solicitor. It was in my day, giving away my age now, it was called the solicitor, the Law Society Solicitor's Finals Examination. And there were four colleges of law that you could study this, um, this course. 
One was in York, one was in Chester, and there were two in London. One was in Guildford in London. Well, I say London, sorry, Guildford. Uh, Sorry, the two in London were Lancaster Gate, and then there was one just off Chancery Lane on Store Street. And I went to the one on Chancery Lane. That was 30 years ago. So I studied, passed my exams to become a solicitor 30 years ago, just on Chancery Lane. And I never dreamt in a million years that I'd be back 30 years later, just down the road at the Law Society, which is based on Chancery Lane, for those of your listeners who don't know that. Never dreamt I'd be back there 30 years later as president of the Law Society of England, Wales. But, you know, I've worked really, really hard to get to where I am. I've been a solicitor for 30 years. You know, I've really, really had to really work hard to kind of show that, you know, I can do the job and I hope I am doing the job and I hope I'm doing the job well. But yeah, absolute honour, privilege, um, amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely, you're doing the job and absolutely you give the very, you know, honest answer that nothing comes without hard work and dedication that's worth having. And I think yeah, that's a great example there of, of, of your journey and, you know, how you have got there. Time for a short break from the show. Are you still relying on spreadsheets to manage your legal matters? There's a better way to work. Our sponsor, Clio, is the cloud-based legal software that will transform the way your law firm operates. They offer legal practice management and client onboarding software that doesn't cost the earth. In fact, from as little as £49 per month, you can cut out all of those tedious admin tasks that you dread doing each week, each month. Automate the boring stuff, free up more time for the important stuff, that's what you get with Clio. Your clients will thank you for it, your bank account will thank you for it, your colleagues will thank you for it, and you can even thank me later for telling you all about it. So head to clio.com forward slash legally speaking to see how Clio can help you. That's C-L-I-O dot com forward slash legally speaking. Now back to the show. I guess it's probably a question I want to ask at the end, but I'm going to ask it now. Someone sat there with a dream that doesn't think it's possible. Um, you know, I've recently watched the the Branson documentary and to think, you know, how he's dreamt the impossible and to get the first aircraft into space was a childhood dream of his. And he talks about, you know, following your passions. What would you say to that individual to inspire them? You know, you've got to where, you know, the top of, of the field. What's that one or two things you would say to them? You know, so during my career, I have always taken opportunities that have presented themselves. And sometimes, you know, you will you'll get an opportunity to do something or and it might just be attend a meeting. It might be to join a group. It might be uh, to attend an event. Um, it might be a piece of work that you're asked to do. It might be a client that you're asked to, to, to represent. And, you know, you might think, well, this is a waste of time. This is not going to lead to anything. This is not going to mean anything. Actually, what I say is take every opportunity that comes along because you just do not know where it's going to take you. Sometimes, you know, I talk to um, younger solicitors and they will say, oh, I met such and such a person, but, you know, they're not a lawyer. They're not going to be able to offer me a job. They're not going to be able to do anything for me. I'm not interested in talking. I don't want to waste my time talking to them because, you know, I don't see that as any use to me. You don't know who they know. You don't know what connections they've got. And, you know, it's all around opportunities and networking. 
Um, one of the things that, that that I heard somebody say recently, which I thought was a fantastic piece of advice, actually, and I've been repeating it again and again and again, is treat every interaction that you have as a potential interview because you have no idea who you're talking to or well, you do know who you're talking to, but you don't know who they know and you don't know where they might be your voice in a in a, in another arena where you don't have a voice or somewhere that you don't have access to. You know, one of the things that I've been so lucky, and I have to say, although I've worked really, really hard throughout my career, I've also been very, very lucky. I think I've been in the right place at the right time. I've had some fantastic allies during the course of my uh, my career. People who have pushed me, they've seen the potential in me, They've kind of, you know, when I've not been ready or when I think I'm not ready to do something or when I think I'm not comfortable to do something, they'll say, no, 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 you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be able to do it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And they push you a little bit to get you out of your comfort zone. And, you know, it's when you get out of your comfort zone, that's when you grow. That's when you grow and that's when you learn. So all sorts of things jumbled up in there. I can't give one piece of advice, but a number. Take every opportunity that comes. Tweet every interaction as if it's an interview and push yourself out your comfort zone. Honestly, Lubna, that's everything that I love championing about. And people who follow me, follow the show. I'm all about everything you just said. Please, everyone, rewind that soundbite. Listen to it over again because that was absolute gold. I always say, who do you know who can introduce you to someone you don't know? You're only one relationship away from changing your life. I'll repeat that. You're only one relationship away from changing your life. Um, and before you earn, you must learn. Drop the L. And, you know, there's great examples there of the people around you, um, your network, your network. So, yes, absolutely. Please, folks, rewind what Lovna just said. That's come from the top of our profession. So, please, please, please take that wise advice. So, let's move on then to talk about your, your in-post. And then you had your presidential speech where you outlined five main aims. Can you tell us what these aims are and why you have specifically chosen to focus on those? Sure. I mean, um, actually, Rob, that's another one hour podcast. (laughs) 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 An hour now. So I think people are probably starting to get a bit bored listening to us. So I'll I'll give you the headlines. No, Um, go for it. I'll give you the headlines because, um, yeah, I mean, it it is my presidential plan and it's it's work that I'm going to be doing over a year. So one of the first things is um, being a leading and influential voice on justice, on the rule of law and on the value of solicitors, which I just talked a little bit about earlier. And um, really, really important that we get the public to understand why justice is important, why a good justice system is important, why the rule of law applying to everybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their uh, 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 means, that's important. And just understanding the really key role that solicitors play in society, because, you know, without solicitors, society doesn't run effectively. You know, they are the ones that make sure that people are um, uh, able to uh, enforce their rights. And they are the ones that help write, you know, prepare contracts, draft contracts. You know, they literally underpin everything that goes on in society. So that's the first one. The second one is a, a focus on professional ethics. Um, And what that means is that that those areas where there aren't black and white rules and regulations that tell you what you need to do, that you might find yourself in a situation where you're kind of thinking, right, what do I do in this situation? So it might be around the type of client that you're acting for. 
It might be, um, uh, you know, climate change is a big issue at the moment that many people are concerned about. And they wonder whether, you know, should I be acting for a particular type of clients? Should I be advising on climate change? So, you know, things like this artificial intelligence, that's another area. So that's the second one. Um, obviously, I'm very keen on business support for our members. I've mentioned that earlier on already. I'm doing a lot of work internationally, promoting the profession and the jurisdiction abroad. And I've recently, literally just a week ago, got back from a trip in India um, where we were really had some fantastic meetings um, with a number of the Indian ministers, with the uh, Bar Council of India and a number of Indian lawyers. And on the back of that, I'm absolutely delighted that we have been able or they have made an announcement that India is now open to foreign lawyers and foreign law firms, which it wasn't before. So that's been fantastic. So that's an example of a new market that we are that we have managed to open up for our members here in England and Wales. And then finally, absolutely have to have diversity on my uh, on my presidential plan. It's a given for me. I mean, it's almost it's in the plan, but it didn't really need to be in the plan because it's just under, underpins everything that I do. It's, it's, it's who I am. It's what I've grown up with. It's what I'm about. And um, my focus on diversity, we've got really good uh, uh, levels of um, black, Asian and minority ethnic solicitors coming into the profession now. Um, just over, I think it's about 18% of our profession now from a black, Asian or minority ethnic background, which is absolutely fantastic compared to when I came into the profession 30 years ago, there were only 709 of us, literally 709 of us. So it's really good to see that. But what we're not seeing is the same um, levels at the senior end of the profession and also at the senior levels of the judiciary. So my focus is um, very much on, on, on those areas. Um, uh, and, and, you know, women as well. Women now make up more than 50% of the profession. 53% of solicitors are now women. And I, one of the things that I get to do in, in my role as president, which I absolutely love doing, are presiding over the admission ceremonies when our newly qualified solicitors are being admitted. And now from newly qualified solicitors, 60% of our newly qualified solicitors are now female. So the stats are really, really changing in terms of diversity um, for gender as well as um, ethnicity. So yeah, those are the, those are the key areas that I'm working on, but you know, Let's do another podcast on those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because they are, as you rightly say, really important areas. And you mentioned, obviously, on the, the India opening up. I remember all my friends opening, texting me saying, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? This is great. This is great. And, you know, that's a, that's a great direct example of um, the work that's being that's being done. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to do there. But absolutely, I have no doubt that it's going to be achieved. And, you know, those statistics are, are a positive. You know, we all, we're always easy to look at the negatives and, and always be sort of, you know, down on things. But I think there's some real... Real, real light there and let's keep pushing forward with you obviously spearheading things so with that there are challenges so what do you think is going to be your most significant challenge with the legal profession today and how do you plan to address that as the president of the law society there are so many challenges at the minute for for the legal profession to deal with um we know that there are massive backlogs in our courts at the moment. We know that that is causing unacceptable delays in accessing justice uh, for members of the public. So that's a really, really big issue. One of the key things that I've been working on during my time as president is the position for criminal legal aid solicitors. Um, they're in a really, really bad position at the moment because they've seen no increase in the rates for legal aid at all for 
oh, since 1996, it's been 25 years. So what we're finding now is that a lot of criminal legal aid solicitors are leaving the profession in droves because they're just not, they're just not able to do that work anymore. It's not financially viable anymore. And so very, very recently, we uh, issued judicial review proceedings against um, the government, the Ministry of Justice, to fight that decision that, you know, we're not getting that. There was a report that was done in December 2021 by Lord Bellamy, who recommended that there should be a minimum 15% increase in legal uh, criminal legal aid rates to keep the uh, profession viable. And that hasn't happened. So we are now, we've issued judicial review proceedings against the Ministry of Justice uh, because we believe that that decision not to increase the fees will have really massive consequences for the profession, but also for the general public who are not going to be able to get legal advice when they need it the most. Yeah, absolutely. And I know how you know passionate you are when it comes to access to justice and uh, you know making sure that you know everyone you know hopefully very much so very much yeah absolutely you touched on it obviously you know it was almost like the underpin of everything that you did when it it comes to diversity and you you've sort of given a few snippets but just to maybe dive a little bit uh, deeper what is your opinion on the current state of diversity inclusion within the profession and what steps do you believe need to be taken to continue to improve it so I've, I've indicated the improvement levels already. Um, you know, good to see that that's happening. But um, we know that only 35% of partners are women. And we know that there are still issues around uh, parity when it comes to pay, uh, when it comes to retention of women, when it comes to promotion, not only of women, but also black, Asian, and minority ethnic um, solicitors. We know that only 1% of partners are from, uh, are, are identify as black. So that's a real, real big issue. Um, we at the Law Society, we have produced uh, uh, what we call the Diversity and Inclusion Framework, which is a toolkit that firms can use to help them to adopt a really simple three-step approach uh, to making lasting change within their organisation. So I'd really, really encourage businesses and firms to have a look at that and um, to help them to really embrace diversity and inclusion in a way that's going to have a real impact, long-term sustainable impact. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, isn't it? It's about, you know, what we do now is for the now, but also for the future and making sure that, you know, it's it's really kind of, you know, um, succession planning and, and everything's in place. So um, I advocate for that as well. Um, I want to go back to your speech again, because in your speech as president, you stated, I intend to launch a major focus on the ethics in the profession to support solicitors through this minefield. This will help the public to understand the finely balanced profession ethical issues solicitors weigh up on a daily basis to ensure the rule of law is upheld. So what ideas do you have to support solicitors in navigating ethical challenges whilst upholding the rule of law? So this is a really big program that the Law Society is working on. And I'm I, obviously, I, my, my, I, I'm, I've kind of launched the, the beginning of that program. We've also already held roundtables with a number of members. We've had four roundtables. One was focused on uh, large city firms. One was focused on mid-sized firms. The other one was focused on small and sole practitioner uh, firms. And then finally, we had one for in-house. So we've been collecting data and finding out from them what are the key issues, what kind of support do they need. And, you know, we really want to make sure that member voices are very, very central in understanding what more we can do in this space. Um, our, our profession is well known but because, you know, we, 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 we adhere to really high ethical standards. 
We have a robust regulatory framework that underpins all of that. But, you know, sometimes what's ethical, and I, lo- I mentioned this earlier on, it, it's dictated by society. It's dictated by public opinion. It's dictated by the media. And, you know, those opinions can change from day to day, let alone week to week and month to month. So it's really trying to understand the different needs that different sectors of our profession have got. An in-house solicitor will have a very, very different perception of what kind of support they need when it comes to professional ethics um, rather than when you're looking at somebody in an international corporate firm. So we're looking at, um, you know, talking to our members, understanding their challenges um, and then and, and then providing guidance on best practice going forward. And that will be through events and um, through training and um, through toolkits and, uh, you know, guidance that we can give to the profession. Yeah. So lots, basically. There's a lot there. So, uh, yeah, definitely make sure that you... Um... You know, you take action on on what them are saying, and uh, you know, attend some of these events, use some of these toolkits, all the things that are available there to to support. Um, and again, we've touched on this, but the the Law Society has issued a judicial review proceedings against the Ministry of Justice. So you're speaking on the matter. You explained we're fighting for the future of the justice system through every avenue and every tool available. What are the proceedings about, and what outcome do you hope for? Well, they're, they're ongoing at the moment, so I'm afraid I can't talk about them in too much detail uh, because obviously you'll understand it's privileged. But as I mentioned earlier, the key issue for us is that um, the 15% increase in criminal legal aid rates that was recommended by the government's own independent advisor, that hasn't been implemented. So we say that that's unlawful uh, and we say that that's an irrational decision. Um, So that's ongoing at the moment. So I can't go into too much detail about it, but I really hope that we're going to get a good result. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and we support that here on the, the Legally Speaking podcast as, as as well, and you've touched on you know your your aims and and some of the um, some of the projects you're getting involved in. Is there anything you're particularly excited to be looking into the future to be working on, or anything else you're currently working on that you're uh, you're super excited about in terms of projects? Yeah, I mean we're doing so much work here at the Law Society. We have just launched our uh, what we call the 21st Century uh, Justice Project. And that is around looking at what does justice look like for for the next hundred years, uh, and we're doing a lot of work on that around you know what's um, what's the best way that we can make sure that people are able to access justice and able you know one of the biggest issues we've got at the minute is that people just can't afford um, to, to to take legal advice, uh, and we've got to look at what options are available uh, to allow them to be able to do that and to let our our members be able to fill that. Uh, uh, that 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 uh, gap that's there at the moment to make sure that everyone, no matter what their background, no matter what their means, they can get legal advice when they need it. And you know, these are really important issues because if you're not getting legal advice at the very very beginning of a case, you often don't know really. You don't understand what your case is about. You don't understand if you have got a case. You don't understand what evidence you need. And these are the things that are clogging up the courts in the long term. So it's it's. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a good idea to, to, to sort things out earlier rather than, than later. And we're, we're looking at all the options for the best ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, taking action early, getting the right expertise in and, you know, having those people that can give you the sound advice is going to erase so much pain that you might already be going through and worry. Um, OK, this has been a fascinating discussion, Lubna, and your journey to how you've 
got to the president of the law society and everything in between and what you're doing is is, is really remarkable um but i always say we have nothing unless we have a legacy so what legacy would you like to leave as the president of the law society well i mean we've talked about me being the first asian the first muslim um uh, to, to to take up position i really really hope i'm not going to be the last i hope that by being visible i have um you know given others the aspiration to go for this for similar roles to get into leadership roles to not feel that this profession is not open to them to not feel that they are uh, excluded in any way you know i i there's that saying that says you can't be what you can't see well i was what i couldn't see but i hope other people can be what they can see so that would be really really important to me and obviously delivering on my plan the plan that i've been talking about that's really important to me i want to make sure i deliver on that i want to make sure that we do see the changes that i've talked about um you know the india opening up the india market that's a fantastic legacy that i'm going to have i'm really delighted with that result but you know i've still got another 7 months to go there's a lot can happen yet so watch this space Watch this space indeed. But um, yeah, I'm sure you're going to absolutely achieve everything uh, on the, uh, the list. And at the end of the day, your, your career and your attitude and your hard work and everything you've done is testament to that. So uh, yeah, we're absolutely fully behind you here on the show. And if our listeners, which I'm sure they will, will want to know more about your journey or would like to know a little bit more about the Law Society, what's the best way for them to get in contact? Feel free to shout out any social media handles, website links. We'll also share them with this episode episode for you too. Thank you. So I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to follow the work that I'm doing and the work that the Law Society is doing, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Lubna Shuja. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, and, and I'm absolutely delighted to say that as of last week, the Law Society launched its TikTok channel. Uh, so we've got lots of clips and videos on TikTok. Uh, we will have, we're just starting it now. So uh, follow the Law Society at the Law Society on TikTok. Uh, and that'd be a great way of keeping in touch with what we're doing. But LinkedIn is probably the best place to, uh, to, to, to follow me and to keep up to date with what I'm doing, LinkedIn and Twitter. There we go. You've had it all there. And it's great to see, you know, modern professional as well, understanding the, the times, because I'm a big advocate for LinkedIn. I've worked with LinkedIn. I think it's a wonderful platform, but also with my buddy, Henry Nelson Case. We're doing this short form video for law firms. We think it's the next revolution. I think it's a great way to get your message across. And yeah, I'm absolutely excited to see that TikTok and all those short form videos come out soon. So love that. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've really, really enjoyed uh, learning your story, more about what you're getting up to and how you're helping improve the legal profession. So from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, wishing you lots of continued success with your future pursuits. But for now, over and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like the content here, why not check out our world-leading content and collaboration hub, the Legally Speaking Club, over on Discord. Go to our website, www.legallyspeakingpodcast.com for the link to join our community there. Over and out.